you have your Bibles, I'd encourage you to take them and turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. Our text this morning is verse 8, and we'll actually just kind of focus on a particular part of verse 8 as well. Welcome, welcome every single one of you. What a great day to be in the house of the Lord. I am so thrilled and delighted to what God is doing uh, through us as a local church. And we have much to give thanks and praise to the Lord for. His goodness and his grace are amazing. I also have the privilege of just listening to individual stories um, of what God not only is doing together as a church, but what God is doing in individual lives. I understand, I know, I'm well aware, it's challenging, no doubt, but stay the course. Stay faithful. God will continue to use you in amazing and wonderful ways that we don't even know about yet. All for his glory. All for his glory. We're going to do something a little bit different this morning. I know that we've been on a breakneck speed racing through the book of Philippians. So we're going to actually just slow it down a little bit this morning. Um, I'll explain that um, in a moment. First, we just need to bow our heads and ask for the Lord to speak to us, all of us, uh, through his word this morning. Would you bow your heads, pray with me. Father, we do come and want to express how, how amazing you are, how holy, set apart, hallowed your name is that, above, that is above every other name. We thank you, Lord, that you've called us out with purpose, purpose to live for your glory, but also to tell others of the amazing good news that exists in the message of the gospel. Father, for these few moments now as we um, gather and we invite your spirit to speak specifically to each one of our individual hearts, Lord, my prayer is that I would just disappear, that, that I, I would not be heard or seen or focused upon, but all of us together would hear a word from you that we need as you prepare us for eternity. Father, I, I love you. I thank you, Lord, for the patience you have displayed with all of us. Thank you for the forgiveness, for your unconditional love. I thank you for the power and might that exists in your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would change our lives from the way that we view the world around us today as a result of your word for us this morning. We ask this in a strong and powerful and wonderful name of our Savior, the Messiah, Jesus, the Christ. Amen and amen. Okay, uh, chapter 3, Philippians chapter 3, straining, pressing forward. It talks about this idea of spiritual maturity. We're growing. We get into chapter 4, and it's about what? Spiritual stability. It's standing firm. That one Greek word, stako, stand firm. It actually um, is a command, an imperative that speaks to the first nine verses of our entire text. We, we have read, we've learned what we're to stand firm in the Lord in verse 1. We're to agree in the Lord in verse 2. We're to rejoice 
in the Lord in verse 4. So there's something here about this idea of being in the Lord. To be in the Lord means to what? It means to be settled. It means to simply abide in full in full belief and understanding of what the Lord Jesus Christ has accomplished both on the cross and in the tomb. There is much strength that we need and much capability of being in the Lord. Today, today we move on to what I call a series within a series. For six weeks, we're actually going to pause just on this one verse, verse 8. We're going to look at six words for us to think on, think hard about. Let me be honest, there has been great spirited debate this week amongst us as pastors and elders. Are there actually six godly virtues here or are there eight godly virtues? Now I have decided to look specifically at six of them because you will notice as we'll read in just a moment, the final two if there's any excellence, if conditional, if there's anything worthy of praise, those final two are so important, we'll view the previous six through the lens of the final two. For example, we're not just pondering anything. Today we're going to look at the word true. We're not just to ponder and think hard about anything that is true. It's certainly true. A terrorist blew himself up in a crowded market, killing a dozen women and children. But it's not excellent. It's not worthy of praise. So we're not going to pause there. We have to know about it, but we're not going to pause there. So you understand my, my reasoning of examining these six godly virtues through the lens of the final two. So here we go. Here's verse 8 for us, Philippians chapter for finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about, think about these things. Finally, Paul's making it very, very clear what? He's marking this moment. This is the, the pinnacle portion or what we could call the culmination of his writing, his teaching, his instructing that comes from this letter to the church at Philippi. This is both a summation of everything previous and it's a very important key to the implementation of everything to follow. Finally, whatever is true. The word true simply means that which is sincere in words. It describes what? Something that is Credible, something that is aligning with reality, that is reliable or trustworthy. Think about, New American Standard says, dwell on, just land on these things. Let me tell you this, spiritual stability comes as a result of how a person thinks. So there's a command that says, stand firm or be stable. There's actually a command. This word here, it's, it's, it's logizomai. Literally, think is a command. We are being instructed, you must think on these things. It's an imperative. 
And it's not just like this brief, fleeting, yeah, I thought about. It's pausing here. It's contemplating. It's, it's deep thought. It means to evaluate, to deeply consider, to meditate on, or to ponder. So we go, okay, all right, all right. So let's, let's think about this. What is true? What is truth? Now, I am fully aware that the shorter the text, the longer the message, okay? So we want to guard from that. So it's one word, and it is, think about this, true. It is a huge subject. Be assured, it is of very little to no value to throw a wide net to see what Google has to say about what is true versus what is not true? If you do that, most certainly, I will assure you, you will be all over the place in complete confusion. Because you'll very quickly find things like this. 27 indisputable facts that everyone knows to be true. Number one, fedoras are always a mistake. Number two, eating Nutella always makes sense. Sunglasses are always more expensive with writing in the corner. Number four, no matter how big and bad you are, when a two-year-old hands you a toy phone, you answer it. I think you'd agree with me. That, that's, it's, that's pretty subjective. That's pretty relative. It's, it's all up for interpretation or debate. Because that's not true for those who like to wear fedoras. The two people that I know. That's not true for those people that hate eating Nutella. It's, it's just not true. There is no end to lists like that. 32 things that I know to be true about life. 33 things that I believe are true. One is born male, but they believe after a period of time that they are female, that they, they believe that they identify with what? They were male. Now they identify as female. I'm sorry. You can't take XY and turn it to XX. It doesn't work like that. I actually heard of a guy who felt as he was applying for a job that he was being discriminated upon because he looked a little older than what they thought they were looking for. He actually was 65, but he said, I identify as a 45-year-old. Guy's pretty quick. But guess what? You can't change your birth date. You can't change, like, like, I just want to change this. All kinds of lists, all kinds of what's confusion. 25, 25 things that sound too crazy to be true. Kids must always wear seatbelts unless you put 50 of them in one vehicle. It, it kind of sounds like, like, what is this? 10 things you need to know about truth. Three things that I know to be true. And it begins, this list begins with a quote from Sarah Kay. 
It says this, no matter how wide you stretch your fingers, your hands will always be too small to catch all the pain that you want to heal. That is beautiful. But I have to be perfectly honest. It's not very true because I know a lot of people who are not at all concerned about healing other people's pain. As a matter of fact, I know people that would rather like to inflict as much pain people as possible so how do we like how do we approach this how do we take this this kind of multicolored, multifaceted, anything goes world of so-called fact checking fake news when we regularly hear terms like this it's it's his truth or her truth or it's my truth or your truth but it's never you never hear Absolute. You never hear terms like divine truth. We live in an age that what may be considered true to one is simply not true to another. So we say, oh, God must not have seen this coming, right? When he wrote, what? When he told Paul to write these, whatever is true, it must have been like, wow, whoa, I, I completely forgot America in, in 2019. Like, completely. Didn't see that one coming. You would think that when one raises their right hand and swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, that you'd think that it would be sufficient. But it's not. And how, how, how did we get here? You can be assured it was a long time before a sitting president of the United States under oath said it depends upon what the meaning of the word is, is. It happened a long time before another president, what, said I want you to look into your television, what, and listen to me, I am not a crook. It happened long before that. We go all the way back. You go all the way back to the very beginning, to the Garden of Eden. Wherever there is truth, there will be lies. Why? Because the father of lies, Satan, the devil, has never, ever, ever stopped trying to undermine, trying to confuse and distort the truth. Genesis chapter 2. Verses 16 and 17, in the beauty and splendor of unmatched, undescribable beauty. And God himself, who spoke everything into existence from nothing, at the very pinnacle of his creation. Those created in his own image, Adam and Eve. He says this, he said, you may eat of every tree of the garden. It's all for you. But... Of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. Because if you, for when and in the day that you eat it, you shall surely die. I think it was a very, very brief period of time, personally. I don't think it was very long, what, before Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. But the serpent said, you will not surely die. A lie. 
be assured that since the very beginning, there has been and there will continue to be a battle for the truth. Think about this. Think about this instruction that we have here. Think about what is true. Notice it's first. It comes right on the heels of the instruction of what? Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Dr. Walter Calvert conducted a, a study that he, he actually, over a period of time, realized that 92% of everything that we worry about has never even happened. We worry about, what, 92% that hasn't even existed, that hasn't even taken place. We're just going places that are not true. Mark Twain said, I am an old man and have known many troubles, but most of them have never happened. There's, there's truth to that. So we have to start somewhere. A simple dictionary definition of the word true is what? Define as things that are accurate, things that are honest, things that are correct. So we have... We, we, we not only need, but thankfully we have been given a starting point. We have to start with something that is a foundation. It simply does not move. It doesn't shift. Think of a, a law of science, a law of nature. What? You test it over and over and over and over again. Exact same thing happens. Same results. Throw an apple up, it falls down. It's a law of gravity. Thankfully, we have a starting point with God himself. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 33, verse 27, that he is eternal. He always existed, always was, always will be. We know that his word also tells us that he is immutable, which means he is simply unchanging. Hebrews chapter 13, he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. There's a foundation to start. And thankfully, God, as an eternal, unchanging God, has given to us His law or His word. Isaiah chapter 40 says what? The word of God endures forever. Peter echoed that in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 25. So, so I want to give you tools on how to live life today by thinking about... That which is true. Number one, here it is. Think about what God's word says, not what man says. Jesus Christ praying in the garden of Gethsemane. Pouring, blood pouring, sweat pouring. Father, sanctify them in the truth. John 17, 17. Why? Because your word is truth. That's the starting point for us. <clears throat> Last Sunday evening, Lady Gaga won an Oscar and she went up in her acceptance speech and basically said, I do not have the exact quote, but says what? If you work hard enough, you just keep dreaming. And this is what's possible. I'm sorry, but that's not true. Donald Miller wrote, if you work hard enough, if you stay focused, if you never give up, you will eventually get what you want in life. Sorry, blue light jazz, it's not true. That's what man says. And people buy it. You just got to dig in deeper. 
No, you're actually believing what man, man says. God thankfully has given to us his word that helps us understand to think through every single area of life. The Bible is, is not a science textbook, but it includes science in the beginning. There's a theory of creation. We certainly can't duplicate that, replicate that. But there's an element of faith. When God says evening and morning, it's the first day. And he talks about the fact, what, in Genesis chapter 1, verse 24, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Not like the lies of this world that says, what, that, that there was evolution over millions of years, that they went from kind to kind to kind. It doesn't work like that. It doesn't work the fact that, what, there has never, ever, ever been order from chaos. It doesn't work like that. The world says, no, there's an explosion. Take your grandkids, take a pile of Lego blocks, have them throw up the Lego blocks, and I say, I want them to fall perfectly into a gas station. How many times are you going to throw those Lego blocks up before that's exactly what happens? It would be easier for that to happen than it would be, what, for the glory of creation to come from explosion. Word of God is not a history book, but it certainly includes history. Travel to Israel. And, 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 and see the tomb. The time that David ruled after the Israel was 40 years and he died, he slept with his fathers. It's not a, the Bible's not a geography book, but there's geography all the way through it. People of Joseph went from Jordan by Jericho, east of the waters of Jericho, into the wilderness, going up from Jericho into the hill country. You see how this is accurate to the description that's given. It's not a book of poetry, but it certainly includes poems. Guys, listen to this. Pull this one. Oh, my dove, in the clefts of the rock and the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face and let me hear your voice from Song of Solomon. Gentlemen, try that one on. It's not a mathematical textbook, but it certainly includes math. And it's more than what? The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its width 50 cubits, and its height 30 cubits. It's more than that. Why? Because it's true, as it says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, for by him all things were created. All things, even math. And math works and science works. Why? Because in Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 3, he is upholding all things by the word of his power. The world works, science works, math works, because God has instructed there to be concise order. God thankfully has given to us his word, literally for us to view life through it, so that we can understand truth. We learn, and this is not a what, think in a brief fleeting way. I can do all things through Christ and get that tattooed on your back somewhere. It's not just that. Okay? It's reading it as it is designed to be read from, from front to end, from the beginning to the end. That God is revealing to us a story that in that story we see what? The champion Christ who rescues us from our sin, redeems us. Learn and read the word of God, how he created man and learn about man's fallen nature. Learn about how God loves us and rescued mankind. 
The Word of God teaches us literally how to live with one another and interact with one another. The Word of God teaches us how to talk and how to walk and how to love and think and worship and give and, and serve. The Word of God teaches us how to have what a godly family, how to be a godly husband, a godly wife, how to be a godly mother or father or an obedient son or daughter. God's Word is truth. We start there and we think about, we think hard about what God's Word says. Number two, we live by what you know to be true, not how you feel. This is how we live our life. We live our life by what we know to be true, not how you feel. Jesus says in John chapter 8, verse 32, you shall know the truth, the truth. You, shall, you can know this. And the truth shall set you free. Whereas today, everything, everything is based, it's all about emotion and feeling. Justin Timberlake sings, I just can't stop that feeling. That's sad, but very, very accurate. People can't just stop feeling. And that our feelings and our emotions go up and down multiple times. You can be sad, just watch a funny movie and you find yourself laughing. It's that easy. And that's really funny. And, and I, I, I don't, I don't even want to laugh, but I find myself laughing. Or you, you what? You can sit down and you can watch what? The notebook together and you're just weeping. Like, I wasn't even sad. We just wanted to spend an evening together. Now I'm just crying. We're not, we don't want that. Our emotions are all over the place. I can be exhausted. All I have to do is listen to Rocky's soundtrack and I'm good for like three, four more hours easily. That's all it takes. It's not that difficult. Look at a picture. Watch a commercial of French fries from McDonald's. You can have just gotten up from eating and you look at that commercial, you're like, oh man, I could do some of those fries right there. It's that easy. Our emotions are all over the place. We fall in love and then we fall out of love when we know the word of god teaches us that true love the most common form and term and word for love is agape means what it has nothing to do with feeling sorry truth is it is a commitment to action i'm going to choose to love regardless of how i feel I'm not trying to squash. God has created us with emotion. Understandable. That is important and it is needed. But we don't live our lives based on emotion. We live our lives based on what we know to be true. Now, thankfully, Jesus Christ says this. You shall, you will know the truth and truth shall set you free. What's interesting is that for some reason, that little phrase, the world's cool with. Travel to Austin, Texas. Go to the University of Texas, go to the main tower in the center of campus, and you will find etched in granite these words. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. Travel to Washington, D.C., go to Howard University. Walk into the library. Above the entrance to the library is what? These words from John chapter 8. Jesus is quoted. You shall know the truth, and the truth 
shall set you free. Travel to Langley, Virginia, walk into the lobby of the CIA. And you'll find these words etched in marble. You shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. And everyone's okay with that. What's interesting is that if you go to the front part of that, that's not a what? That's not a capital letter. It actually starts with a comma. Because it's part of a larger statement that is not written anywhere. You have to read scripture in its context. It actually begins with what? If, conditional, if you abide in my word, you are my disciples. Comma, my disciples indeed, comma, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. If you abide in my word, you'll know the truth. The word, truth, word, truth, truth, word, truth, word. I love the fact that we can summarize. We can summarize, I think, 66 books of the entire Bible with a central theme and message. I mean, five words from Galatians chapter 5. Christ has set us free. It's that simple. And we live, we live our life based on what we know to be true. Which means what? Christ has set us free. That means that you can study and you can read and you can research any religion, ideology, or belief system in this entire world. Study Islam. Encourage people to study Buddhism, study Judaism, study Hinduism and Taoism, Catholicism, Mormonism, study Jehovah's Witness, study Kabbalah and study Scientology and Baha'i and every single major belief system in the entire world will teach you what you need to do in order to hopefully win some kind of forgiveness and hopefully ultimate salvation. Not so with the truth of the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? The good news of Jesus Christ is not about what you have to do. It's about what Jesus Christ has already done. That's the truth. That's how we live life. People go to church thinking, if I just make it one more day, then hopefully i got that parking spot waiting for me. It doesn't work like that. The hope of heaven is not contingent upon your personal performance. Church attendance, you get a little star and a badge. The hope of heaven is not contingent upon church membership or baptism. Yes, they're important. It's not contingent upon what? How many times a day that you pray? Whether or not you smile or give or serve. All of those things are important, but that's not going to win you a place. Why? You don't do good things because Christ has done the great thing. He's offered himself, sinless lamb of God, to die and suffer in the place that you and I deserve, the full wrath of God, where we deserve to be. Learn to live by what you know to be true, not how you feel. Thirdly and finally, ask, ask this constantly. Is it true? Not, does it work? Ask this question every single decision. Fathers leading your home. Single moms leading and raising your children. Ask this question. I don't know what to do. Is it true? Which means what? You don't have to know the truth. You don't have to search the truth. 
It says this in Acts chapter 17 that the Bereans, Berea is a, a city in Macedonia, the church had been planted. It says that they received the message with great eagerness and they examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That word examine is that same idea of what? It wasn't like a casual kind of like breezing over. They searched and dug to make sure even when someone was preaching, even the apostle Paul was preaching, they were measuring it to the truth of the word of God. You, you realize that you are responsible to do exactly the same thing when you hear the preaching of the word of God every single Sunday. I oftentimes remind our elders that if you ever hear anything that does not align with the truth of the word of the gospel, then you better get rid of me and get rid of me fast. I have nothing else to say apart from what this word has. We have a responsibility to ask the question, is it true with what we're hearing? You see, when one lives their life and they ask the question, is it going to work for me? If going to church is going to like bump me up in the social status of the community and my business is going to grow because I, I, I read the Bible. It is going to work for me. If you do that, living totally, totally pragmatically, not according to absolute and divine truth. We believe, just like the Bereans, great examples, God's word is sufficient. We believe and live what God's word is absolute. We have faith that God's word is ultimate divine truth. So we need to examine... And we need to view life through the lens. We look at life through the lens of a Christ-centered, biblical worldview. Not an ever-changing, fleeting, secular, man-centered worldview. It's always changing. We don't view life like that. Many people even go to church to think that, that someone else is going to do the thinking for them, and it doesn't work like that. You hear something, you are to ponder it. Take the text home around your lunch table and read that text again and discuss it and dig into it. That's what we are to do. That's what we're, 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 we're to make sure that we don't go to church to get us fueled up just to survive one more week. No, we talk about that. We're not here for, for spiritual highs. That you get enough to, to succeed in life. It doesn't work like that. We're preparing you for eternity. I like the way that Bill Hall says it. He says, what scares me is the anti-intellectual, anti-critical thinking philosophy that is spilled over into the church. The, this philosophy tends to romanticize the faith making the local church into an experience center. Their concept of church is not that they're spiritual consumers and that the church's job is to meet their felt needs. It's not the church's job to make you feel better. Sorry. No one will show up next week, probably. Just empty the place. It doesn't work like that. The local church, the local church that hugs tight to the full weight and truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, very clearly, you will very clearly hear and understand that, that that is not, this is not, we're not offering you a pill to prosperity. We're not offering you 
what? Some fleeting, flittering happiness. The truth of the gospel of Christ calls us what? Calls us to die to self. According to what we read in Galatians chapter 2, in Romans chapter 12, in Matthew chapter 16. Think, think for a moment about the many, many martyrs before us. Think about the many missionaries before us. You think that they lived asking the question, does this work? No, 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 no. They lived, they ministered, they served, what? According to, is it true? Is it true? Yes, that we are simply passing through this place, that this is not our home. Do not get too comfortable here. Is it true that possessions fade and rust and burn up? Yes. Is it true that souls matter? That people last? Not their physical bodies, but the souls of mankind. Is it true that this word of God lives and endures forever? You see, it actually makes our lives a whole lot simpler to view what we know to be true, that there is God. He's real. He created you. It's true that man rebels all over the place every single day. It's true. We see evidence of the brokenness of creation all around us. It's true that God loves us unconditionally and that he's offered his own son to suffer and die. It's true. That when we put our faith and our trust in the full finished work of what Jesus did on the cross and in the tomb, that we live as what? Ones who are called out with a purpose that is entirely different than the world's. That's how we are to live. Not asking, is this going to work or not? But is it true? I would encourage us as a church to think hard and ponder the words of the Lord Jesus Christ. That he says what? I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes unto the Father except through me. Father, we love you and we thank you, Lord, for this reminder of how we are to view life. God, I would ask that you would give to us the strength that is needed through your spirit to have discerning minds that think hard about the truth. And we thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live in confusion, but we live with clear understanding. Thank you, Lord, that this is a church that has been grounded and founded upon the preaching of the truth of the gospel. And, and we ask you for strength that it would always continue so that you alone would receive the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name.